That's cool. Just like you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, really, really are glad you're here. And, uh, and I want to say hi to everybody online right now, um, and as well as everybody at our different locations of Woodbridge and Sloan Creek, Legacy, uh, Richardson, um, and Espanol. Um, today is kind of a cool day because we're starting a new series, and that series is called Shadow Side. And what Shadow Side is about is really navigating the highs and lows of life well, the ups and the downs. Because we, we always pray for the ups, right? We want good things and all that's fine. But if we don't navigate those well, they can actually work against us in the long run. In the same way with, with the lows, the things that we really don't want and we pray that God will help us not have to experience can actually, if we navigate them well, help us become the kind of people we really want to become and, and accomplish what we want to accomplish the most. And so we're going to be focused on both in this series. Today we're starting talking about success. Um, now, success is something that all of us really do want, and that's a, that's a good thing. Like, we just heard the song, High Hopes. I mean, you don't want to start a school semester with no hopes, right? You want high hopes. You don't want to start a new job with no hopes. Two people who get married, you don't, you don't want to say, you know, we have no hope for our marriage working out, right? You want, to, want it to go well, or a friend of mine just had, uh, they just had a, a baby, and imagine if I went up to them and said, oh, she's so cute, but I bet she's going to be a big failure in life. You know, that'd be terrible, right? I would, that would be the end of our friendship. We all want things you know, to be successful, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a, success is a good thing, and as we're going to see today, and, and I believe God wants us to experience success. He wants us to have high hopes. Uh, he's given us wisdom in the Bible to help us do well in different areas of life. He's, uh, he, he will help us and empower us when we you know, do those things and try to implement those in our lives. He has no problem with success. Success is a good thing. However, there's a shadow side. And that shadow side is as good as success is in whatever area of life. It's actually dangerous as well. Um, it's kind of like um, this Red Rider BB gun. Um, and, and the reason I have this, you know, it, is for, it reminds me of a, a particular Christmas movie. You know, Halloween's gone. We're going into the Christmas season. We'll be, you know, there'll be, I'm sure there already are Halloween movies out there. My favorite, Elf. Isn't that your favorite? And, uh, uh, but this one comes from, if you've seen this one on TV, A Christmas Story with Ralphie, right? And if you've, I, I've never actually watched the whole movie. It's just always on, it seems like, on some channel. And I've seen it in bits and pieces. But the one I remember the most, right, is Ralphie. What he really, really wanted for Christmas was this Red Ryder BB gun. And i got to say, it is pretty cool. I got one for this message that I'm kind of excited about. <laughs> I, I am. I know I'm 53, and maybe I should get over it, but it's pretty cool. And, uh, and, and to demonstrate how cool it is, um, I need a volunteer. So um, here's what all I want you to do is just you're going to hold this in your mouth and stand over there and I'm going to I'm going to shoot the balloon. All right. So who just raise your hand if you're up for it. All right. I'm not going to do that. But you just saw the people who will do anything for Jesus right there. Awesome. So that's good. We're glad you're in our church. We need you. Um, so right. It, it's in that awesome. And uh, um, it, it is right. But. If you remember the movie, he wants one, wants one. His parents kept saying no. Why? You got it. You'll shoot your eye out, right? It's good, but it's dangerous. And oops, we'll put it this way. 
Um, sorry, yeah, don't you feel better right now over there? It's good, but it's dangerous. And success is very much like that. I mean, success is a good thing when God grants that and we should be thankful for it and we want it, whether it's in school or relationships or marriage or finances or a job or a company or whatever. It's all good. But it's also really, really dangerous. And the reason success is so dangerous really is human nature because um, it's so easy once we become successful for success to turn into pride. And when we become proud, right, it just, it just almost ha- we don't even see it happening. And when we become proud, that opens us up to destruction. And we don't even see it coming. And, and it just it, there's a, a verse that we just I just popped on. If you looked at my TV, let's go and look at it. Solomon in the, in the Old Testament says pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride always leads to destruction. Pride is a unique sin. It's actually the original sin. It's where sin started. But it's a unique sin because it is a gateway sin. It opens us up to become people we never would have dreamed of becoming at one point when we were less proud. It, it, it opens us up to doing things that we never thought we would do, like not good things that we never thought we would do. And, and pride is also dangerous because not only is it really, really destructive in our life and opens us up to all kinds of things, it is also so undetectable in our own lives. Pride is like the carbon monoxide of sins. Uh, I don't know if you have a carbon monoxide detector at home. If not, let me know. I'll have to give you one for Christmas because you need one. And in fact, this weekend I realized, oh, we don't have batteries in ours. We have one, but we, I didn't do that. I haven't done that yet. But it's, why is that a thing? It's a thing because carbon monoxide is so hard to detect. It's, you, you can't smell it. You can't see it, but it'll kill you. And pride is the same way. Pride is one of those things in our life we just... We just can't really, you know, it's hard to grab hold of. That's why so many people, and I've had a lot of these conversations with people where people say, man, pray for me. This is a sin area I really struggle with and all that, which is great. The Bible tells us to confess our sins to one another so we can help each other, pray for each other. But hardly ever do I hear somebody say, oh, yeah, I really need you to pray for me because the sin I struggle with, I'm just really arrogant. I'm an arrogant person. I mean, people don't say that, right? Um, why? Because, again, it's so hard to see. In fact, even right now, as I'm talking about pride, I, I know a, a lot of us are probably thinking, man, I'm, I'm glad he's talking about that because I know there's a lot of proud people out there. But I don't like I'm pretty humble. Right. I, I don't I don't have that. Like, that's not my big struggle. And uh, and you can feel the problem with that. Right. As you look down your nose at proud people because you're not proud. That's a problem. In fact, the most conceited people in the world are people who think they're not conceited. The, the most proud people are the people who don't think they struggle with pride and look down at those who do, who are pride, because it's just that subtle in our life. And I'm telling you, it's at work in all of our lives. And today we're going to, it's like a carbon monoxide test as we see this story of a person who allows pride to bring destruction. Starts out really well, but allows pride to bring destruction in his life. And it's, it, it's working on us right now. And if you're successful, that's true whether you're successful or not, but if you have any kind of success, whether it's in school or sports or work or money or whatever it is, uh, relationships, family, marriage, kids, whatever, any kind of success so easily leads to it. And so we're going to look at it. And again, today, like I said, it's going to be like a carbon monoxide detector, which means as we hear this story today of this real person who experienced this, then we're going to stop at different points because in his story, we see some 
indicators, like flashing, think of them as flashing red warning lights or indicators that like, oops, maybe this is happening to me. Maybe I have pride in my life. Does that make sense? So here's the story. It's in Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. And Second Chronicles is a unique book in the Bible in the Old Testament because there are six books in the Old Testament. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles that tell stories of the kings of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, this nation that he set aside to be a light to the nations and through whom the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world would come. And for most of their history, they had kings and they were God's people. So they were expected to be godly and good. But most of the kings were not. But the one we're focused on today was a guy named Uzziah. And he was a good one. He's a really good king. He was a godly king. And he had a he had a good reign and a long reign. He reigned for 53 years, which is the second longest reign in all of the kings of Israel. And he started pretty young. He started when he was 16 years old. Now, I don't know what you were doing when you were 16. Uh, some of you are 16, so you should know. Uh, some of you aren't 16 yet, so you can imagine. But if you have been 16 in your past, what were you thinking about when you were 16, right? Was it, it, it was probably, I don't know, girls or guys or cars or dances or school or video games. I don't know. But imagine if you were elected president at 16, right? That's kind of what happened to him. He was crowned king at 16 years old, at a very complicated time in the nation's history. And he did really, really well. And here's what we read about him right off the bat in Second, in Second Chronicles. It says, he, Uzziah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father, Amaziah, had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who, inst- who was a prophet, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He was a good king. And a godly king, he sought the Lord. He knew he needed God. He knew he was over his head. So when it says he sought the Lord, like he was all, you know, he's praying and focused and obedient to God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success and gave him tremendous success. In fact, the next few verses, I'll just summarize, lay out his success as a king. Um, For one, he had was a great military success. He built up a very powerful military, a very modern military for their era that kept a peace and helped them prosper and helped them even expand their kingdom. It was also a time of great economic prosperity. People had jobs. Life was good. It was a time where he was doing all these building projects, making things better and safer and all that. So life was good. His approval rating would have been through the roof, everything great. And God gave him success. And, and it is worth stopping there to just realize this, that success is not a bad thing. Success can be a really good thing when God gives it. And another word for that is God's favor. That if God has helped you be successful, whether that's at school or at work or in your finances or in your marriage or with your kids or whatever, that's a good thing. And, and, and thank God for it because it's God's favor in your life. It's something that he's giving to you. Don't take God's favor for granted. In fact, A couple of things to realize when God's given you favor. One thing to realize is, is God's favor is never just for you or for me. It's for others. His favor becomes what the Bible calls a stewardship, a responsibility to manage well. To always think, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Because it's not just about me. It's for others. The other thing to remember about God's favor and success is it's dangerous. 
And you can smell trouble just with this this part of the verse, right? As, As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Can you smell the trouble ahead? Because how easy it is once you get successful to no longer really seek the Lord. Because life's good without him. I mean, you're doing great and you start taking credit and all that. And that's exactly what happens. Here's the next verse. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped by God until he became powerful, until he became successful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. How many times is that story repeated? Again and again and again, and maybe you probably experienced it in your life too, in my life too, in cycles. We, you know, we're, we're in a tough spot. Let's say maybe you're experiencing some crisis or some downturn in your life. You lose a job, you have a health problem or somebody you love. And, and, and man, boy, do you seek God in those moments, right? You're all about God and Jesus and going to church and praying and, and getting everybody to pray, right? And in those moments, we're so focused on God. It's like, God, if you get me out of this, if you walk me through this, I'll... I'll be better than Billy Graham and Mother Teresa combined. I mean, it'll just be amazing, you know. And then everything changes and it works out and whatever. And then we're, we kind of move on, right? We kind of forget that. And in the same way with success, when, when things really work out, it's really, really hard to seek the Lord as fervently and really, really easy to take credit for it. And this is the first indicator, and we're going to see it, the first, just think, flashing red light indicator then we may have a pride issue, that we may be allowing pride to be in our lives that will destroy us, bring destruction in our life. When you're, the first one, when your ego inflates and your prayers shrink. When we begin to take credit for it, no longer see it as much a gift from God. And we no longer seek the Lord as fervently, right? Because we're good. When your ego inflates and your prayers shrink. And I, I know that because I've experienced that. And, uh, and I, I remember um, when I was uh, new in the senior pastor thing. In fact, I, I wasn't even a senior pastor yet. Um, I was in transition. So uh, Gene Gatz, who started our church, uh, passed the leadership baton to me a number of years ago. And, and so we were in a succession process, a, a transition process for three years. And in that season, right at the front of that season, I was invited to a meeting that was awesome to be invited to. It was a gathering uh, of a, it was an organization that a friend of mine led. It was a gathering of the top 50 pastors in the country. And what I mean by that is the, the 50 senior pastors from the 50 largest churches in the country. And I was invited, even though I wasn't a senior pastor yet, and we were not one of the top 50 churches in the country or biggest church. But I was invited because my friend led the organization. So I, wouldn't, I really didn't really belong there so much, uh, but I was close enough. And it felt really good to be invited, and my ego definitely inflated. It was like, wow, this is so cool to be in this room, and people I've read their books, and I always wanted to meet. I knew a couple of them, but not most of them. It's going to be awesome. And I get in that room, and, and I do. I have an inflated ego because here I am, and I'm in this room, and, you know, and they don't have to know I don't belong, right? And, and so I, I'm in there, and, and, um, but my ego, as inflated as it became, quickly deflated. It did not last long. Uh, and, and here's why. So there was a meet and greet before this meeting. Now, this meeting was with a business guru named Jim Collins. And if you read business books, uh, he wrote Good to Great, Built to Last. So it was, a, it was an amazing opportunity that way, too. But before Jim came out, we had, you know, it was this gathering of these people. And we were supposed to meet and greet. We had name tags on. And so we're meeting. And here's where my ego got inflated pretty quick because 
people were greeting me. I was greeting people, trying to get to know these people. I, you know, they're so cool and to be around. And they were greeting me, but kind of saying hi and goodbye at the exact same time because they weren't interested in me. So they were, it was kind of like, so they imagine they were them and, and you're, you know, you're me. Okay. So they would like come up and you see the name time. They go, yeah. Hey there, Jeff. Good to see you there, buddy. See you later. You know, right in the same moment. And I wasn't getting anywhere. Like people were talking through me to get to somebody more important. And that was kind of the posturing that was happening in the room. Everybody kind of getting, trying to get to the most important people in the room. And I, as the least important pe- person in the room, it wasn't going so well. So I decided to exit. And so not the room, but in the corner of the room, there was this table full of food. It was a seafood table full of these like really big shrimp, like the kind of shrimp you want to stuff in your pockets, you know, and take home for later, you know, and, and I'm eating, you know, and there was no competition. Nobody was there because all the big shots were in the big shot thing. And so I was, you know, eating. I mean, these were like Chernobyl shrimp, you know, they were, I must have been, I mean, they were huge. And uh, so as I'm eating these shrimp from, it, it scared me because I didn't expect the voice coming from that part of the room from the very back corner of the room, I heard this voice and there was a guy sitting there against the wall on the floor. And it was a guy that I knew. His name is Randy Pope, who is a pastor in Atlanta, started Perimeter Church in Atlanta. He's a person that did belong in the room. He was one of those top 50 people and all that. But I I hear him from down there and Randy says, hey, Jeff, why don't you come have a seat? Sit next to me. And so when I sat down, he said, he was like, yeah, Jeff, I've been watching what's happening out there. And I can tell you're not going to get anywhere with that group. And I was like, yeah, I guess you've noticed. And he said, yeah, that was pretty obvious. And, uh, and so we started, you know, talking. And it was so cool because um, as we started talking, I, I couldn't really, I, I was trying to get him to talk about himself and what was happening at Perimeter, but he wouldn't do it. And it, very graciously, he just really wanted to know how it was going at this church. And what we were learning about transition, he was wanting to know how I was doing. He knew about my kids. He wanted to know how they were growing up and what was going on and what I was learning as a dad. And he was so encouraging and just lifting me up. And then toward the end of that, he looked out at the room and just said, hey, you know what? I mean, I know you see what's happening there. And he said, man, I'm telling you, I I could so easily go there. I mean, it's my proclivity to do the exact same thing, posturing, trying to get to the most important people and he said, but man, just please promise me something, Jeff. If you ever see me doing that, will you just kill me? <laughs> and I said, well, no, I'm not going to kill you. But he said, well, at least then just, you know, kick me in the shin or kick me in the rear because I know I can be that guy. I just don't want to be. And it's just a cool moment. My ego was inflated and then deflated and then perspective. And their perspective is just how easy it can be for great people to get inflated. And when that happens, what will happen is our seeking the Lord, our prayers will shrink because we're doing pretty good. We start taking credit for our own success. Things going pretty well. Our ego inflates, our prayers shrink. And so that's an indicator. And right now, just think about it, how the Bible word is fervent, but let's say focused, energetic, how focused, energetic are you on seeking the Lord, on praying, knowing I need God. I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent on God. Where is that at? Because if prayers are shrinking, ego is likely inflating, and that's a red flag. Now, his story continues um, with, uh, with our buddy Uzziah. And here's what happened. After Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. 
he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So he allows pride, right, to lead to his downfall. He was unfaithful. How was he unfaithful? Tells us. He entered the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem there where you go to worship God. He goes into the holy place, it was called, that part of the temple, to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now you look at that and think, what's wrong with that? Like, isn't that awesome? I mean, he, here's the king. He's going to go and he's going to burn incense. He's going to worship God. I mean, that, that's a good thing, right? I mean, it seems so humble. It seems so great. I mean, it's not like he goes out and does something terrible. He didn't go kick a puppy. It'd be bad. He, he didn't go kill somebody. That'd be bad, too. He, he's, he's worshiping God. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal, he knew it, is that God had made it really, really clear the boundary that there was a role in the way he set up the nation of Israel, his people in the Old Testament era, was there was a king and then there were priests. And they had two different lanes. And the king had his responsibility and the priests had their responsibility, which was the temple, and especially to offer incense, to go into the holy place. Only a priest who'd been consecrated by God, who'd gone through all these purification rites, going into God's holy presence, only a priest could do that. It was not, a, not something that a king could ever do. And he had known that for decades. But his ego was inflated so much, he's like, oh, come on, it's not that big a deal. I'm a big deal. That's not a big deal, and who's going to stop me? If I want to go honor God this way, I'm going to do it. I don't care about that little rule or whatever. Just try to stop me. And so with an inflated ego, he goes right in there to do that, which leads us to the next indicator of pride at work in our life when you think you're above the rules. And it happens all the time. In fact, think about over the last couple of years, two or three years, how many powerful, successful people have fallen. Some of them, you think, well, they're not a great person. They were powerful, but not good. Some of them, no, they actually were a good person. Doesn't matter. One thing they all had in common, every one of those stories, is they got to a place where they thought, They were above the rules and started playing fast and loose with the rules, thinking who's going to know or who's going to care or who's going to stop me or it's really no big deal. I'm a big deal. That's not a big deal. When you start playing fast and loose with the rules, you can easily think with an inflated ego, it's never going to catch up to you. But the Bible is really clear. Sin always catches up to you. You always reap what you sow is the way the Bible says it. The Bible says by It says that by no means will the guilty go unpunished. Over and over again, the Bible lets us know you can't play fast in the rules and get away with it. But when you're powerful, you can start thinking like you can. And I know in a room this size, in whatever room you're at, whatever campus or watching online or whatever, that I'm talking to a number of people, a lot of people who are playing right now. And all of us are capable of this. It's just so easy right now. You're playing fast and loose with the rules. And you know it. It might be ethics in your business or in your job, how you're doing it. It might be honesty problem. It might be uh, a sexual thing where you know you're outside of what's right, either in the way you're treating someone or how you're handling that area of your life right now and you know you're out of bounds. It might be a financial thing. It, you know, you, there's just all kinds of oper- ways this can work and you, the way you're treating people and you know you're outside the, the bounds. And it's so easy to justify when you're proud. And don't let that happen to you. 
Let me encourage you to be really open and honest and say, God, forgive me. I, I want to make a U-turn there. I do not want that to happen. And he's going to have an opportunity. God's going to give him a really gracious opportunity to turn the truck around. And here's how. Azariah, the priest, he was the high priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. So he's going in to do this thing where he should not go. They follow him in because they're going to confront him. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who've been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you've been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord your God. It's a gracious opportunity and a courageous one because they're taking the risk to confront a powerful person, to confront the king. And they're saying, don't do this. You know it's out of bounds. You know what God said about this. Don't do this. And they give him an opportunity to turn it around. And he's got the opportunity to respond. And here's how he responds. Uzziah, who had a censer, a lighter in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, think dot, 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 something's about to happen here in a minute. But how did he respond? Not well. (laughs) He gets angry and he goes into a rage. Essentially, he rejects the confrontation. He rejects the correction. And that leads us to another indicator when you and I repel correction and confrontation. And it's easy to pick on him a few thousand years ago for, you know, doing that. But every one of us, because we all have egos, whether you're a big shot or a little shot, doesn't matter. We all have egos and it is hard to be confronted and corrected and it's hard to handle it well. Because there's something in every one of us, it's kind of this little defense mechanism. It's just our ego, our sinful pride, that when we get corrected or confronted, there's kind of this thing. It's like, who are you to, to ask me that? You, know, you think you're so great? You think you're so perfect, right? There's just something all of it's kind of like I'll I'll use this gun again because I like it. And uh, it's kind of just picture a mafia movie, right? And uh, and you're like, you know, when you're getting it's like you got a problem with me. You know, you got a problem with me. You talking to me. You talking to me. You know, I'll I'll, I'll give you a problem, you know, right? And and, uh, I should be in those mafia movies. Are believable. Um, But. But we all have that, not just the mafia people, right? That thing of you talking to me, you got a problem with me. Why don't you focus on your own problem? You think you're so great. You think you're so perfect. It's hard to handle correction well and see it for what it is, a gift. Feedback is a gift. Think about how hard it is to confront somebody. And when somebody takes that risk to confront you, it doesn't mean they're right. But it does mean it makes a whole lot of sense to listen and consider it. That's what Solomon said in the Old Testament. He said, wise people listen to, instru- listen to correction. Fools or foolish people reject it, spurn it. If you want to be foolish, it's easy. Just spurn correction. Push it away. Don't invite it. But if you want to be smart, embrace it. Listen to it. Consider it. Make it easy for them to do it again because it's a gift. doesn't mean they're right, but it means wise people consider it. And when you find yourself repelling correction and confrontation, that's a big flashing red light. And let me just ask you the question. When was the last time when, you know, somebody confronted you, corrected you? Think about that. How did you respond? Did you listen? Did you consider it? Did you make it easy for them to do it again or make it hard for them to do it again? And for some of you, if you think, you know, I can't even remember when somebody's done that. Like, I don't really 
That's a problem. Especially if you have any kind of authority at work or wherever, because it could be that you're sending out kind of this, you know, what you're radiating is basically, you know what, you better not confront me or correct me. Or why bother confront or correct me? It's a dangerous place to be. And he chooses to just crash right through it and repel correction and confrontation. He does it in a really dramatic way, which leads us to another indicator. And that is when you insist on premium treatment yourself, but don't treat others the same way. The reason he was so mad, the reason he was so upset is because he didn't like the way he was being treated. He was the king. The king gets to do whatever the king wants to do. Who are you to treat me this way? Right? This isn't right. Gets angry. Because of the way he's being treated. And what does he do? He goes into a rage and rages, it says, against them, the people who are confronting him. He rages against the priests. That word rage is a really powerful word. It's not like Uzziah was like, you know, I just want you to understand that you're making me angry right now. I'm really just, I'm not sure this is the best way to be talking with me. And and can we just talk about that? I'd like to hear your feelings too. But that's not what he was doing, okay? He was raging. And that word is a powerful word. It has like violence attached to it. It's so angry that you're striking out at somebody with intent to harm them. That's what rage is. He's raging at them. So I'm sure he's threatening them because he's the king. He can. He's insulting them. I don't know if he was hitting them or striking them. I don't know. But that word has all of those connotations in it. He was pushing past boundaries of the right way to relate to people because he was so angry and he goes into a rage. So he's insisting on premium treatment, but is raging against them and treating them very poorly. And whenever you and I find ourselves being oversensitive to the way we're being treated and undersensitive to the to how we treat other people, that's a big red flag. Like uh, and that's true in, in all kinds of ways, like. Um, Think about when you think about how you're treated, how we insist on our treatment. And that always hurts when we don't feel like we're treated well. Like this scenario, maybe you're at at work and you share an idea. And maybe this is happening. You share an idea and people like never listen to your ideas, it seems like. And they don't listen to your idea. And then 10 minutes later, somebody else on the team shares the same idea. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's a great idea. That's awesome. You're like... Really? Like 10 minutes? And, you know, you're, or maybe you really wanted to be invited something and you weren't invited. You were kind of pushed away or didn't get the invite or you didn't get the promotion or whatever. That's hard on pride, right? And what humility does is, 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 is honest with that pain. It says God goes to God with it and says, God, I, this, isn't comf- I, this hurts, but thank you for the opportunity to challenge my pride and to help me learn humility. And I know Jesus was rejected the same way. And I'm just going to trust you with the big picture, but just help me handle this well. That's humility. Pride strikes back, right? Pride goes into rage. Pride is very focused on us. But, and that's what he does, right? And he does not treat them well. And it's not going to go well for him. Because you know how pride leads to destruction? Well, here it goes. Leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah... The chief priests and all the other priests looked at him. They saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. Such a tragedy. Because he was a success story. He was this phenomenal 16-year-old person 
who does something for decades really, really well as he seeks the Lord and God gives him success and everybody's blessed because of it. He is a success story, except the way that he ended his life. He ruined his legacy with pride. And how sad is that? And you think, well, you know, you think about it. Like, how long did it take for him to stain his whole legacy? To go into the temple and do that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know, erasing a, or staining a decades of faithfulness. That's all it takes. But really, you think, well, how long did it take? Really, actually, I think it took a lot longer because for years he was allowing pride to stay in his life and his ego was growing. He wasn't seeking the Lord quite the same. He, all those things that we saw, that was at work in his life because he allowed it to be at work in his life. And that's the danger. Because it always is going to end badly. Um, over the last 18 months, um, you know, it's been good 18 months. I'm thankful God's given favor and all this kind of stuff. But it's not been perfect. And in fact, one part of the last 18 months has been really painful. And that is a, a, a person that's been a, a mentor in my life and someone that I've learned so much from and am very appreciative for is one of those people that had a fall who had decades of faithfulness and then ends badly. He had to resign before the church fired him. And it's not here in this area. It's another part of the country. And, and yet he was, he's an amazing leader. Um, in fact, I, I, I got the opportunity to spend, he was one of those people in the room, by the way, that I talked about earlier. But I got to spend uh, a couple times a year with him, twice a year, just be with him for a half day. He was so gracious to me. So encouraging to me, so helpful to me, and to our church at different decision points. He even came and spoke at our church one time years ago. Um, he, he he helped us a lot as a church at, at key decision points and helped me, and I'm so thankful for him. And I would say he's arguably, I think most people would say, maybe you know, the most influential pastor of our generation on church in a good way. Like really, really good person God used in a big way. But the reason he had to resign, it was part of the Me Too, you know, movement and Me Too things that were going on and people coming out with what was happening under this, you know, underneath the scenes. And and when I first heard as these ladies began to come out in this pattern of how he treated women inappropriately, I didn't believe it. And for like I was like, you know, I, I remember reaching out to him and said, man, I'm so sorry this is happening to you like he was a victim. You know, like, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. We know who you really are, man. We're on your team. We're praying for you. But then more stories started coming out. I had the opportunity to speak with one of the ladies that had been on his staff for a long time and not and not at that point, but who had been one of those victims and realized, hey, I think this like this is legit, like he's got a real problem and he's denying it, still denying it. He had to resign. And it was crushing to me. Um, for the ladies for him and his legacy doesn't doesn't mean God never used him or good things didn't happen, but man. But also for me, it was frightening, and it was frightening because how easy it is, whether it's in that way or some other way, to get inflated and to allow pride to do its work and do its destruction. Because that was his story. I mean, all those indicators we looked at. Now looking back, I can say, you know what. All those were going off. I just couldn't see him at the time. Because pride is so subtle. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to you too. 
And it may be in process of happening right now because pride, again, is so subtle. And so I, I want to be really honest with this and look at it. And as we look back at the indicators, just say, God, is this happening to me? When your ego inflates and your prayers shrink. When you think you're above the rules and playing fast and loose with the rules. When you repel correction and confrontation. When you insist on premium treatment but don't treat others the same way. And any of those are just big indicators. Oh, my goodness. And if you're feeling that, and hey, pride's at work in all of us, okay? If you're feeling that, what do you do with it? Well, the Bible tells us what to do with it. First Peter 5 is one of those passages that says this, And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You get to decide. Do you want God to oppose you or give grace to you? So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. The antidote for pride when we see it in our life is not only to admit it and confess it, ask God to help us, for, you know, forgive us, but it's to go a step further, and that is to humble ourselves. So what does it mean to humble ourselves? How do I do that? How would I humble myself? It, do I go into it like in my bathroom mirror and look at myself and say bad things to myself? You're so stupid. Nobody likes you. You're the worst person ever. You know, is that, that's not it. Uh, that's not what pride is. In fact, um, and that's not what humility is. C.S. Lewis uh, did a great job of summarizing a biblical perspective of humility. The opposite of that is pride. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. In fact, you can have an inferiority complex and still be proud. Because pride is about self-focus. It's not about thinking badly of myself. It's thinking too much of myself, thinking of myself too much. And so even if you have an inferiority complex, it's actually a sign of pride as much as it is a superiority complex is. Because humility is not thinking of myself. It's thinking of God and thinking of others. It's a, the opposite of, of pride is selflessness, like Jesus model. It's saying, I'm going to focus not on me, but on God and others. I'm going to lift others up and trust that God in due time will lift me up. I'm not going to worry about me. I'm going to focus on others. I'm going to lift other people up. If they win, good for them. That's awesome. I'm going to celebrate that. If, the, if it's their preferences that are the preferences, awesome. I'm going to serve. I'm going to lift other people up and focus on that. It's what Randy Pope was doing uh, on the floor by the shrimp with me. Right. Just encouraging me, lifting me up. Did that diminish him? Of course not. In fact, the way to tell a humble person is not somebody who's going around saying, I'm so terrible. I'm the worst. That is not a humble person. A humble person is likely a pretty delightful person. That's great to be around because they're so focused on lifting everybody up around them. That, that's that's humility in, in what Jesus modeled for us. And so what I want us to do, because I think pride is always at work on all of us is I want us to go before God and humble ourselves and say, God, I don't want my life to be about me. I want it to be about you, and I want it to be about other people and where it's become around me, my ego's inflating, all this stuff we're talking about. God, help me root this out of my life. And so we're going to go to God in prayer. Prayer is just talking to God in your own words. And, and we're going to ask him to help us with this because pride is so destructive. And we, get a, we have a choice. You know, earlier we said God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. We either want God to be opposing us right now or we want him to be helping us right now. And he helps the humble. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. This is an opportunity. So let's just bow our heads together.
And I'm going to invite you to prayer again. Like I said, it's just you don't have to use special, fancy words. Just God is our Father who wants us to talk to Him. And I'm going to encourage you just to ask God a, a really important question. And that is, God, where do you see pride in my life at work? And where He convicts you, just really listen to that and say, God, I, I don't help me root that out of my life. And then just say, just say, God, help me humble myself to get my focus off of me, on you and on others. Help me be preoccupied, not with me, but with, with others, with lifting others up. Even as I go back to work, as I go back to school, as I go back to my neighborhood, as I go back to my family. God, help me do that. And I'll just close in prayer for all of us, the message at least. Father, Thank you that you want what's best for us. You oppose us when we're proud, not because you don't like us. It's because you do, and you know how destructive pride is in our lives. And Father, we really don't want to wait for you to have to humble us. We'd like to humble ourselves right now. And we thank you for your patience with us, and we thank you for your grace. And we thank you that you always want what's best. In Jesus' name, amen.